Good morning, Three Rivers. Thank you, Emmett. Uh, if you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verse 31 to 46. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And uh, as you have heard, we're going to spend a few weeks on the topic of hospitality. This week, we're going to talk about hospitality as God's nature. It's His character. It's part of who He is. And as a result, we have a responsibility with that. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, the, the work of hospitality in the home and then the work of hospitality the week after that in the church. And then Pastor Jim is going to teach us on how we're going to implement this and how we're going to work through hospitality as a fellowship I'm going to give you a definition. You can find this on the blog that is there for you. I do a little blog uh, that's got sermon notes and every now and then a little video or something like that. Uh, so you can see this definition if you don't want to write it down. I would, as a matter of fact, encourage you just listen. Trust the Holy Spirit to take things where they need to go and then you can go and look at it later. But this little definition uh, of hospitality will be our working definition for a few weeks. It's not the definition, it's a definition, but it will be our definition for these few weeks. And here it is. It's the friendly and generous reception and care for any guest because that is what God does. It's the friendly and generous reception and care for any guest because that is what God does. My friend Nick Burleson says it like this. Hospitality is not one big thing. It's a thousand little things. Hospitality is not one big thing. It is a thousand little things. And it is manifested from a welcoming heart. And I chose that language welcoming intentionally. Because hospitality is something that doesn't just get shown from a transformed heart. Because hospitality is part of the nature and character of God. He built it into humans that are made in His image. God is a welcoming God. And therefore, non-Christians can show hospitality. I would say the past few years for me have been a great wake-up call in this reality. Because to be very frank with you, I have been received better by my Muslim friends than I have some Christian friends in Christian circles. This past February, Sheikh Abdullah bin Baya, the Sheikh of Abu Dhabi, paid for me to fly to Washington, D.C., paid for my hotel, paid for my food, to sit in and be part of dialogue on how we can disagree theologically and yet at the same time love each other well. Now there are a thousand questions that come to my mind in this thing. Why is a Muslim friend speaking about loving each other well and we are not? When Jesus said, love even your enemies. <laughs> right? And he's not my enemy. He has proven a better friend to me than some people who called me their friend in the faith. And so the question becomes for us, how is it that non-Christians can show hospitality? And it's because hospitality is part of the nature and character of God. And as a result, particularly for us as Christians... We have a responsibility to put it on display, I would argue, better than anyone. 
But when we isolate ourselves unto ourselves, we're not being hospitable people. Hospitality is not so much a systematic teaching in the Bible. Like you're not going to see a passage that says, Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt act hospitably. It's not there. It's not a systematic teaching as much as it is a way of life that God puts on display, sets the example for, and then calls us to be participants. Example, God creates. And what does He do? The pinnacle of creation, He makes man in His image, puts them in His garden, welcomes them into His world, and shares now with them the mandate to bring it under control, subdue it and rule over with Him. He's the welcoming one who welcomes us into His space. Just to skip straight to Jesus, if you have the error in your mind that the God of the Old Testament is not Jesus, and that is an error, Jesus is the Creator. He is the God of creation. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Jude 11, Jesus who led a people out of bondage in Egypt. It was Jesus who was leading Israel into their freedom from Egyptian captivity. Jesus feeds 5,000 people on one occasion. He welcomes them to himself. The disciples want to send the people into town to get food. And Jesus says, no, 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 you have them come to me. Sit in groups on the grass. And he took the little offering and he multiplied it and he fed them. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus issues this invitation of hospitality. Come to me. Come to me. Welcoming, right? Come to me. That's what hospitality is. Remember, it's a welcoming attitude. It's a friendly and generous reception and care for any guest because that's what God does, right? Come to me, all who are weary and they labor and they're heavy laden. And I, Jesus said, I will give you rest. So he welcomes them. And then he does this amazing thing. In order to make that possible, he makes preparation. Not only did he welcome them, he prepared for them to show up. He was expecting people. How did he prepare? He goes to the cross and he dies in our place for our sin and is buried and rose so that the way to himself may be paved in blood. So that when he comes to me and I'm weary and heavy laden, he says, you come to me. I made the way. I made preparation. There's ample food in my body and my blood. There's plenty for you. Come to me and I will take care of it. That's Jesus' example. And then back in the Old Testament, we get this beautiful picture of the alien and the insider, right? And I don't like to use the word alien, but I couldn't find all the synonyms and word. Gave, you know, like when you get right click, except I use a Mac, so there's no right click. You just click on it because Macs are easier. So you click on the word, Microsoft Word, and you scroll down and it says synonyms. You know what I'm talking about? And you go synonyms. There was not a good synonym for alien. Sojourner, but that sounds like 1611 English, so... So we'll just say alien, not the little green big thing at Area 51. I don't think they're there. I'm just saying. Some of you watched the show and maybe that's what you're thinking. But the alien, the outsider, the person, not of the predominant ethnic majority. You get this picture God gives to His people and says, you welcome them. Because you were outsiders, aliens in Egypt. You know what it's like. So when they come to you, you dare not cast them out. 
As a matter of fact, you include them. And you see this all throughout the book of Ruth. Don't glean, right? They practice this because it's written in Deuteronomy. Don't glean or harvest all the way up to the edge of your field. Leave the outside for the outsider and the poor. Leave margin in your financial resources to care for the outsider. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer, right? So God, being a God of hospitality, cares about the outsider. Because it is His nature. So, what are we going to do? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46. Now, before I read this um, and work our way through it and make some observations, I want to set some context for this passage, okay? Set a little context for you. First, Matthew 25, 31 to 46 is the third in a trilogy of parables in Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the talents. The parable, of the, uh, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and the parable of the sheep and the goats. The ten virgins, the talents, the sheep and the goats. In which, in these three parables, the theme is carried over from chapter 24, which is being ready for Jesus' return. He's coming, and He says, you need to be ready you need to be expectant. You need to be looking for me. And then he tells these three parables to illustrate what it looks like for his people, his followers, those who have come to him who are weary and heavy laden, and he has given rest, those who are his, those who have believed by faith, those who are trusting in him. He tells these three parables to tell them what it looks like to be ready. And that is to make preparation. Don't wait till the last minute. Go and buy oil. Be ready. And stewardship. He's left us with something to care for. Care for it. Don't wait for Him to show up and you realize you went and buried your responsibility. And then hospitality. Care for the outsider. The truth is those here who have believed and are anticipating the Master's return are ready. Versus contrasted against those who did not believe, did not anticipate, and did not make ready. And so there are two people contrasted here. The foolish in the parable of the ten virgins. The one who didn't know his Master at all. And then those who didn't welcome the outsider. What this parable is not, and then we're going to jump into it, okay? What it's not is first, it's not salvation by works. Maybe you've read through this and you get this weird feel that, well, Jesus is telling me I've got to earn his salvation by doing these things. No. Never read a passage of Scripture isolated from the rest of Scripture. The number one interpretive principle in reading the Bible is Scripture interprets Scripture. Okay? Never isolated unto itself, such as Philippians 4.13. I can squat this 285 this week by Christ's strength. I got it, man. Jesus is going to help me. No, you're going to drop the 285. I got to try that this week, by the way. 
Right? So I would like that to be true, but it's just not. That's not what it means, right? So don't isolate the passage unto itself. This passage does not teach you earn your salvation by good works. It is teaching us, remember it's a trilogy of parables, carried over from Matthew 24, teaching us what His people look like in being ready. Secondly, this parable is not the social gospel. Now I'm going to be very careful here not to get off on a tangent. Because this is a loaded issue. I want you to understand this. Matthew 25, 31 to 46 is not teaching a social gospel. Okay? Meaning, the gospel is not feeding people and helping people. That's what the social gospel teaches. The gospel is doing good works to people. That's not what this is. I do want to say this, and I want you to hear this. The gospel is a message that must be spoken, not merely lived. It is, a, it is information. It is a message. It is to be spoken and heard and received. Okay? Understand that. But make no mistake, evangelical Christians, and we are evangelical Christians. Hear this, because this is a hot topic. The gospel has social implications. And do not let your favorite podcaster, preacher, website, book writer tell you differently. The good news of Jesus and His kingdom has implications on societal issues, particularly how we treat the outsider. Do not let your favorite news source, newscaster, or political party tell you anything different either. They rip off Scripture, misinterpret the Bible, and then we go vote for them thinking they're the Christian. Listen, you have no political party. Nobody represents you. You have one king, his name is Jesus, and your political affiliation is to the kingdom of God first. Hear that and know that. So if you're a minority, God cares about you and he cares about righteousness for you. Lest you think I'm teasing, go read the book of Romans and study the cognate, I'm sorry to be nerdy, of the justification of God. The cognate, the root of the justification of God is justice. Meaning God does justice for me so that I can be justified. God cares about justice being done systemically as well as purposefully and personally. So this isn't social gospel, but make no mistake, it has social implications. Hear me? Meaning, we don't isolate ourselves from the world. If we do, we can't be hospitable and we can't do the gospel. The gospel has to be preached outside. Hear me? And then we have to act upon it. Which is where Jesus brings us in this trilogy of parables. My people who have believed do stuff to be ready. So where we're focusing is the third in this trilogy of parables that focuses on hospitality because it is a gospel issue. So here we go. When the Son of Man comes in His glory. So He's coming. Not if the Son of Man comes, when He comes in His glory. Jesus is coming. And all the angels with Him. Then... He will sit on His glorious throne. So who's sitting on the throne? Jesus. Revelation 20, 21. Jesus sitting on His throne, gathering the nations before Him. 
Verse 32, before him will be gathered what? All the nations. And he will separate people one from another. Not everybody's getting in. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Illustration. He's going to separate people. And he's going to do it in the manner that a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king, who's the king? The son of man who's sitting on his throne. Who's that? Jesus. So who's the king? Jesus is king. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this was plan A. This could be a really cool rabbit trail, and I don't have time. But this moment was plan A, not plan B, because, oh my gosh, what just happened in the garden? Can't, can't believe they messed up. This was the plan. Come and inherit this kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, purpose clause, right? You guys know what the four are? It's a purpose clause. He's telling you why. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Remember, Jesus is describing these three parables, what it looks like to be ready. This is what his people look like in preparation, particularly in the issue of welcoming outsiders. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? They're totally surprised by this. I, Jesus, I don't remember. Can you re refresh my memory, Lord? When did that happen? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's earth shaking. That's a game changer. We'll talk about this in just a minute. Then he will say to those on his left, the goats, which I don't think Jesus is saying goats are bad. He's just because goats are awesome. You get the point. It's illustrative. Then he will say to those on his left, you goats, depart from me, you cursed. Cursed. That's strong language. Into the eternal fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Interesting word, prepared. It's, this, sorry, nerd moment. It's perfect passive. It's the theological passive. Meaning, it's God who prepared it. So who made hell? God made hell. It kind of shakes sometimes our theology a little bit, right? God made hell. Why did He make hell for the devil and his angels? When did He prepare it? Perfect tense. 
eternally in the past. Results carrying on indefinitely in the future. We don't have a perfect tense in English. We don't have a, a verb to express this. Greek has the perfect tense. So way back in the past, it's part of it's, it's God built this into created order. It's part of His purpose. He intends to get glory in all things, including hell. Hell is not the mere absence of God. That's a lie. The Bible doesn't teach that. That makes us feel better about it. But it's not true. So this, this eternal fire has been eternally prepared for the devil and his angels. Who's going there? The goats. Who are the goats? Verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger? Or naked or sick or in prison and we didn't minister to you. This little word ministers the word deacon. When did we not deacon you? When didn't we serve you, Lord? They're all so surprised. Jesus, if I'd have seen you, I'd have served you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. Who goes to eternal punishment? Those who did not welcome the outsider. But the righteous into eternal life. If you're like me, and you read this passage, it sits a little heavy. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to rescue from the heavy. I'm not going to rescue you from the heaviness. It's intended to lay on us heavy. Because in chapter 24, Jesus is speaking about his return and the coming of the Son of Man and being ready and nobody knowing when and not being fooled by the delay, but being ready. And there's a heaviness on this passage because if you go back and study Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, Jesus never answers the question when. He just says it's a reality. And he says, I don't even know, only the Father does. So therefore, be ready. And here's what it looks like to be ready. In other words, there's a, there's a oomph to this. There's some mustard on this that's intended to take his people and keep them moving in the right direction. And if I rescue us from that oomph, that heaviness, my fear is we might not keep moving in the right direction. Because those who belong to Jesus, those who believe the gospel, begin to work out from their salvation the things that are of the nature and character of God. And in this passage, particularly, it is an issue of hospitality. So I want to make some observations from this parable. Number one, our salvation is worked out in justice and mercy and compassion in welcoming and or serving the outsider. In other words, the welcoming of the outsider is one of the ways we display we're saved and we're ready. 
It, it doesn't get any clearer. Remember, this isn't salvation by works. This is what saved people do with their works. We're prepared, we're good stewards, and we're welcoming the outsider. So in other words, and, and I want to be careful here because next week we're going to talk about how this biblically, we're going to look at passages from the scriptures about how the church is that vehicle. And how the church needs to begin to apply this doctrinally and practically. So I don't want to get too much into how that works out at the doors. Because Pastor Jim's going to talk about that. How that works out in the seats. Just know that caring for the outsider, welcoming the outsider, welcoming, have a welcoming spirit. Having a welcoming disposition is a nature and character of God issue. And it's one of the ways we work out the fact that we belong to Jesus. Number two. Serving the outsider is what followers of Jesus and citizens of his kingdom do. A little bit redundant. But redundancy is one of the ways we learn. Serving the outsider is what followers of Jesus and citizens of his kingdom do. Now listen, let me say this very carefully. And there are some of us in this room who are going to testify right here. I am an introvert. And, and, and me and Kevin swap stories. And I, I've sent a couple of you guys some funny cartoons about being introverted. I go home Sundays absolutely wrecked because I'm not an extrovert. It wears me out. But being an introvert is no excuse for not acting like Jesus. Do you understand? I can't say I can't feel my legs because you've talked to me too long. Which I can't. You're wearing me out. Because that's not what the Lord does. The nature of God says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And as an image bearer of God, more so a follower of Jesus, I must act like him. And it's not fake. It's for real. Because that's what Jesus expects and that's what he's doing in my life. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I don't like people. But because He is changing me and transforming me, I actually love some people. So being an introvert is no excuse. And being an extrovert is a way, being an extrovert is sometimes a way, sometimes a way you feed your idolatry. You find your hope in people. You find your security in people. You find your security in your friends. Who likes you, don't like you. How they received you, how they didn't receive you. Just introverts are going, don't receive me, leave me alone. And extroverts are going, they didn't talk to me, oh my gosh. So here's the point. Serving the outsider is what followers of Jesus and citizens of His kingdom do. And listen to this, it's not the quality of their spiritual consumption that displays their eternal dwelling. It's not because you read the right author. It's not because you watch the right YouTube channel. It's not because you listen to the right podcast. It's not the quality of your religious consumption. It's not because you put your kids in the best youth ministry or the best children's ministry or you consume, consume. I'm getting the best spiritual material I can get. It's not the quality of spiritual consumption that displays eternal dwelling or transformed heart. There's a lot of people who read Piper and they're going to hell. There are a lot of people who love MacArthur and they're going to hell. You hear me? 
It is rather ministering to the outsider that is an indicator of their eternal dwelling. Because Jesus didn't say here, nowhere in this passage does He say, you're listening to the right Pharisee. You're listening to the right scribe. Because there's one King. And it's Him. And Jesus is saying to them, if you are mine and you are ready, it looks like serving the outsider. Not who you're listening to. Because you can like Matt Chandler till the cows come home. And he's awesome. He's for real. I know him. He is a real dude. He really preaches the gospel, loves God, but he's not Jesus. And your listening to Chandler is no indicator of your spiritual destiny. Jesus even said in Matthew 7, there are going to be people who come to me in the last day and say, Lord, Lord. We served you. We cast out demons in your name. They had spiritual power. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. Spiritual power is no indicator of your eternal destiny. Jesus said here, it's those who are looking at the outsider. Number three, Jesus identifies himself with the outsider. Why? Because he came as an outsider, although he was the creator of it all. John 1 10 to 13, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus, the creator of all things, came and was rejected by the insiders as an outsider. And then Jesus comes and says, I love the outsider. So you make sure you treat the outsider well. And then he teaches us things about the kingdom, right? The first is the last, last is first. And I read these, oh gosh, Jesus, I don't quite understand what you're saying. Here's what he's saying, it's very clear. The kingdom of this world values one thing. My kingdom, that's the kingdom that is here and is coming, values another. And because I came to my own world and it treated me as an outsider, you better love the outsider too. Because when the kingdom comes, those who are outside are going to be the insiders. And those who are insiders are going to be the outsiders. In some mysterious way, And Jesus doesn't explain it. He just says it in some mysterious way. Hospitality to outsiders, the underprivileged, those that we look at as on the outside is equated with serving Jesus himself. He didn't explain it. He just said it is. So somehow, listen, somehow it's our responsibility to look for Jesus in the outsider. He doesn't tell us how to do that. He just says, Welcome them. Serve them. And by the way, the specific examples are not necessarily prescriptions of ministries. It's Jesus isn't prescribing jail ministry. There's nothing wrong with jail ministry. Do it by all means. Hopefully some of you do. The point is, these are people in the context who are considered outsiders. They're less than. They don't have. Their people's theology sees maybe the poor as having displeased God and God's getting them back. And so what Jesus is saying, those who are on the outside, you make sure, you make sure you treat them as an insider. So in some way, Jesus is present. Number four, Christians showing hospitality to outsiders are then surprised. Pastor Jim and I were talking about this one this week. They're surprised to learn that they were serving Jesus. You notice that here in verse 37 to 39? When did we see you? Right? Jesus, I'm pretty sure I've re- I know you. I'm pretty sure I've recognized you. 
They were surprised to realize they were serving Jesus. Why? Because they weren't looking to impress Jesus. They weren't looking to get their spiritual high in doing something so Jesus saw them. They were working out of a ready heart. They were working out of being ready because they were new creatures. And they were serving out of a transformed place that says, I've got to be ready because he could come at any moment. And when he comes, I want to be make sure I'm welcoming the outsider. Number five, the reward for faithful hospitality is the kingdom of God. Notice verse 34. Jesus says to them, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, those who practice hospitality, those who know Jesus and practice it out of a transformed, welcoming heart, a ready heart, are the people who will be in heaven. Number six, the penalty for faithless inhospitality to the outsider is eternal punishment. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, the penalty for not being ready, the penalty for not knowing Jesus, the penalty for not coming to him by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his spilled blood alone, is eternal hell. Faithlessness works itself out in inhospitality. This is just a point here, and I'm almost out of time. And this is where I'm just going to be, speak frankly. Most of us white people, because we're the predominant majority, don't understand systemic injustice. We, you, you've probably heard that and just have no clue. No clue. No clue. But the reality is hospitality not only extends to the personal greeting, it also extends to the work to make sure systems and processes welcome people who aren't the majority culture. And that's a deeper conversation. And I guarantee you there's probably some... Well, I'm just going to stop. The penalty for not being welcoming of the outsider, and you can take it up with Jesus if you have a problem with it, is hell. Number seven, hospitality to the outsider must become a trade of the people who've been transformed. Through River Church, hospitality needs to be a trade of our church. And I made a little video. I'm going to actually buy cracky. I'm just going to ask. I made a little video, put it on the membership Facebook page, put it on the public page, and then it's on the YouTube too. Yes, I have a YouTube channel. There's like five videos on it, but I'm going to do it more. And, 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 I, I made it, and, I, and I talked about this issue of hospitality, and we're going to be talking about this. Anybody watch that? Wow, i got more hits than even in our church. More people outside our church watch that video than people in our church. That's weird, blowing my mind. So if you're not on the membership page, sorry, become a member. You're on the page. There's a public viewers page, and then go to YouTube. I'm going to do more of these. But here's the deal. This has to become a dominant characteristic of our church. And the reason I said that is in that video, I mentioned that there have been folks who visit our church going, I felt welcome there. So, good job. Keep it up. Because that is a trait of people who are waiting on the Lord to return. I don't want to go too far, but Hebrews 13, too. We'll hit this in a couple of weeks. Tells us that by entertaining strangers, some of us has welcomed angels unawares. That's in your Bible. So three years, keep it up. Stand downstairs at the door. Stand upstairs. Stand somewhere. Look for somebody you don't know because you may be welcoming Jesus.
has to be a trait of who we are. Number eight, hospitality looks like proactive engagement of the outsider. Verse 35 to 36, you want to notice here, it's not like Jesus is sitting over there in the beggar going, ah, come here, come here, come on, come on, come on. No, no, no. And they're like, oh, okay. No, notice Jesus said here in this active voice, I was naked and you clothed me. In other words, you were looking. Your radar was out. You noticed the problem and you fixed it. So hospitality looks like proactive engagement, meaning you have an outward focus. Keep an outward focus. It's a characteristic of people who Jesus has welcomed to himself because he is outwardly focused. He is outwardly focused and we know this because he says go disciple the nations. Look out! Get out of yourself. Get out of your consumption. Go find the outsider. Tell them my gospel. It will save them. So hospitality looks like a proactive engagement of the outsider. Rather than waiting for the outsider to come to you for help, go to them. This works itself out in how we do the Great Commission globally. We are talking about this a little bit this morning. Listen, people want to use the mission and the Great Commission to go trot the globe thinking they're going to be M's. And the reality is, if you're not making disciples here, looking outside yourself here, if you don't have a few Muslims as your friends, if you don't have a few atheists as your friends, you're not going to make them over there. There's no magic plane ride. If you do it here, you'll do it there. If you're not doing it here, you won't do it there. You'll just be globetrotting, queuing up resources. It's a proactive engagement of the outsider. Look for the outsider. Engage the outsider. Preach the gospel. Talk about Jesus. Number nine, inhospitality looks like passively ignoring the outsider. Inhospitality looks like passively ignoring the outsider. Because you notice here in this passage, Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me no food. He walked past the hungry person. I ain't going to buy drugs. Just illustration. I'm not telling you to give money to homeless people. I'm just saying. The point is they passively overlooked the problem because it wasn't right politically or culturally to do anything about it, so we just passed by. Somebody else deal with that. Not my problem today. I've got a Bible study to go to. Third one of the week. Can't help you. Passively ignoring the outsider rather than seeing the need as a target of action so that you can serve and fix the curse of the fall and preach the gospel we bypass it for more spiritual activities as though it were in spiritual jesus told us here it's ultimately spiritual finally we end here hospitality and neighborliness are twins hospitality and neighborliness are twins Matthew 25, 31-46 has always smelled like the parable of the Good Samaritan to me. Luke chapter 10, verse 25-37 to was a seminary graduate. Not really. I'm just culture, culturizing it for you. But a Levite, right? Teacher of the law. Somebody's smart. Too smart for their own britches. Asks the Lord a question. The Lord responds back and, oh, this is how I enter. It's like, love God, love my neighbor. And Jesus said, you've answered well. Do this and you'll live. And to justify himself, because Jesus, you know, it's like, i got to look really smart. I can't be shown up here. So to justify himself, he says, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells us the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
So a Levite and a priest see this guy who got beat up and robbed and he's in great need and they pass by. I won't even, won't even go by on the same side of the street. And guess who happens along and helps the hurt person? An outsider. The Samaritan, the half-breed. And Jesus says, go be like that person. Go be like the outsider. And here's the deal. The parable of the sheep and the goats, the parable of the good Samaritan are twins. In other words, hospitality and neighborliness are the same. Meaning, Christian, we should never ask who my neighbor is. It could be the person who lives next door, but it's also the person you pass by where Jesus somehow powerfully, supernaturally is residing there going, look at what my priest and Levite just did. They carry my name and they pass by. Be like the Samaritan. Welcome the outsider. Serve the outsider. Jesus even said, Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, then you will be my children. Then God is your Father. When you do these things, you act like my people. Dear Christian, it's not just enough to go to the right church, listen to the right podcast, read the right books, go to the right places. It is a call in our lives to preach the gospel and work this out in correcting the curse of the fall. And listen, I know it's hard. It's hard. Because we default to inward, don't we? We default to being an introvert. I just soon sometimes leave me alone. Please, oh God. It's hard. And sometimes it's an extrovert. You're like, feed my need, feed my need. It's hard. But the call in our lives as followers of Jesus is to love the outsider and welcome them. And Three Rivers Church, I want us to be a place like that. I want us to be a place like that. The ultimate act of hospitality now for us is to welcome the Lord Jesus to sit on our worship. The Psalms say He sits enthroned on the praises of His people. So let me ask you this question. Would you do me, do me, do me a favor and do God the honor and welcome Him? Welcome Him by praising Him? I recognize the content here is, is probably in your heart maybe a little antithetical to just... Woohoo! Praise and worship, man. I'm feeling good. You may be feeling convicted, and that's good. You may be going, you know what? I'm on the right track. I need to keep going. I know this is hard. This is costing me financially, practically, personally, in every way. But this, the Lord expects this of me. This is good. I need, I need to stay the course, man. Yeah, that's good. Be encouraged. But even more so, an, a response of obedience and worship is the key right now. Because when we respond in worship and obedience, we'll respond when we walk out those doors this afternoon and tomorrow. When it's hard, right? So, I'm going to pray, and then I want to challenge you to welcome the Lord into this time. And welcome the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, our minds, and give us what we need to be obedient followers of Jesus who are ready. Father, we pray in Jesus' name you pull that off. Holy Spirit, we need you to make that happen because we can't do this on our own. Um, I trust your word will be sufficient and you will use that as an instrument to pull that off. So we pray you do it. We pray now that um, you would bring to us um, the ability to sing to you, not sing good, but sing well. That we would be a people who would respond in song. That we'd be a people who are delighted to bring you an offering of praise. 
And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work that in the hearts and minds and souls of your people. I pray you pull that off right now. Lord, I pray that you minister to the need where there is the need for encouragement and perseverance. Would you lift them up and give them perseverance? Where's the, where there's need for correction, Holy Spirit, we trust you would guide to truth and lead to right action. Where there needs to be fixing of things broken, we pray that you'd repair and be the counselor, helper, and healer. We entrust this time to you and believe you're able to pull it off and we do that in Jesus' name.